This is Peter Franson from SpiritBlade.net. You're about to take a very unique journey through an unpublished novel that served as the source material for two of our full-cast audio dramas, Spirit Blade and Spirit Blade Dark Ritual. This is an archived rough draft that we have no plans to publish, but offer it to you for free in this enhanced audiobook format. For fans of the Spirit Blade audio drama trilogy, I hope you'll enjoy this deeper look into the origins and development of those stories. And for those new to the world of Spirit Blade, I hope you'll have fun listening and then stop by spiritblade.net to experience the cinematically produced audio dramas that this story eventually became. And right now, prepare to dive into this enhanced audiobook experience as we present Spirit Blade, a novel by Peter Franson. Part 1. Never. Not in a million lifetimes. Two years ago, if someone had asked Merrick, Want to go skydiving? How about cliff jumping? It's actually much safer than it looks. He wouldn't have cared. He could have been given a thousand reasons why no harm would come to him, and still have maintained that those feats were for stuntmen and people struck with terminal illness. He wouldn't be caught dead doing anything like that. Then again, never say never. The glass shards tore into his flesh in retaliation for the way he had violated their sense of order. The cuts were only superficial, but delivered just enough pain to let him know he was still alive. And though he plummeted to certain death, the only question tugging at his curiosity then was, how will I not be killed by a sixty-story drop onto the asphalt below? As the wind flew up at him, he silently mused to himself, caught by a stretch of server lines? No... By the time I fall near them, I will have built up too much momentum. No kind of scaffolding visible. The pavement rushed ever closer. He never thought he'd be here again. He was completely baffled. Hmm. Guess I'll just have to wait and be surprised. It can be safely said that Merrick Vendarius was a product of his environment. He was like so many others in the world, hard-working at his craft, an upstanding member of the World Church of Unity, and completely blind to the most basic truths around him. However, it should have surprised no one that the world had settled into its present state. As early as the beginning of the 21st century, Christianity had been viewed as the only unacceptable religious system. By 2040, even Satanism took a back seat to the controversy brought on by Christianity proclaiming truth. Merrick now lived in the middle of the 22nd century, a world where the quest for truth had ended. By the first half of the century, the beliefs the world was told to tolerate began to dominate, and the World Church of Unity had officially declared truth to be relative. The WCU boasted a worldwide membership larger than any organized religion in history. Founded in California in 2019, the church grew like wildfire with its popular teaching that all religions are true if someone lives to believe in them. All beliefs are valid and ultimately lead to the same higher power. This sentiment became so popular that any that openly disagreed with the relativity of truth were deemed closed-minded. They were refused all but blue-collar work and denied quality housing. Even hotel and restaurant services were withheld from them. They became the outcasts, the Morlocks of society. Twenty-five years after the church was founded, Brandon Marshall, a candidate heavily funded by the World Church of Unity, rose from the ranks of district attorney in Washington, D.C. to eventual election as president of the United States. During his first term, he was recognized publicly as an upstanding member of the WCU. 
Because of the widespread success of the church, he was re-elected to a second term in 2047 by an overwhelming majority vote. The WCU knew that it was time to make their move. Using the easily manipulated President Marshall as their tool, in 2048 they passed legislation that declared all biblical texts to be impeding our nation's progress to religious freedom and unity. Although technically Christians were still free to practice their religious beliefs, it became increasingly difficult. After a massive campaign to buy Bibles from citizens at record high prices, only one in every two million people had a Bible or any form of biblical text. Selling them was prohibited. Those with useful biblical knowledge soon became scarce. And a century later, among Merrick's contemporaries, the knowledge contained within the Torah, the books of the ancient Judaic prophets, and the writings of the apostles had been reduced to whispered myth. It was because of this that Merrick had no idea what the vision meant or what effect it would have on his life. As he fell, casually awaiting his fate, Merrick allowed his mind to drift again and relive the night of the party, the night of the vision. It was almost a year ago again. He had been invited by the president of the Atlantis Corporation to the annual charity ball. These sorts of parties were never Merrick's style. But as a professional commercial singer, these unpleasantries sometimes couldn't be avoided, and he had to admit that Mr. Claudius Falcor knew how to spend his corporation's money. The corporate building for recreation and activities was constructed entirely of xenomite. The alien alloy created by the monopolizing Silicate Foundation might have been given a very nondescript title, but its quality could be detailed for hours on end by the finest poet, and he would never do it justice. Not only was it the strongest substance known to man, it was also quite possibly the most beautiful. It shifted pattern and color with the light in the room, like a living mosaic. One never looked and saw the same design twice. Additionally, it had a unique effect on nearby sounds, adding distant ethereal chord tones to normal sounds and speaking voices, turning any room into a veritable symphony orchestra incapable of imperfection. On that particular night, it only served to enhance the live musicians Mr. Falcor had hired, and even made the incredibly claustrophobic hall bearable to Merrick. Even so, he had made his appearance and, after half an hour, was ready to leave. It was at that moment the founder of the feast stopped him cold, accompanied by his adoring, credit-hungry associates. Merrick, my boy, he growled. Excellent work on our last ad. I don't know of anyone else who can capture that Necro 30 sound like you can. I've always said that blasted, tachronic garbage would go out of style. He squinted a wrinkled grin that shriveled up his smoke-damaged face. Necro's coming back, and I see a bright future for you at Atlantis Incorporated. He laughed hoarsely and twisted his chubby index finger into Merrick's shoulder. The balding fat cat grabbed his nearest groupie and cackled smoke from his cigar into his admirer's ear. The action set off a domino effect, obligating the others to join in, snorting and guffawing, regardless of whether they understood the old coot or not. Once the group seemed boisterous enough, Mr. Falcor turned and made an exit into the sea of faces. All right, now he had definitely paid his dues, Merrick thought. He turned to the nearest door and determined to lock his eyes on it until he could touch it. That was the first time he saw him. A stranger wearing a white, three-piece suit with frosted ivory hair and astonishingly blue eyes, staring at him. At first, Merrick thought the man must be looking past him at something, but the stranger's gaze followed him as he sifted through the crowd. He approached the door, and the stranger seemed motivated to intercept him, but as a laughing couple passed between them, the mysterious figure vanished. 
disappeared, as though he had been only a figment of Merrick's imagination. Upon reaching the door, Merrick turned and scanned the turbulent room one last time for any trace of the man in white. Should have taken a nap before I came, he mused, and headed to the transport bay. Door closed, level 2 security, lights to point five. Merrick sighed and, with his thumb, flicked his RCF card onto the kitchen counter of his small studio living block. The governor announced today that the new crime program... No news tonight, thanks, computer. Just bring the room temperature up by 10 degrees and turn the lights off in 90 seconds. Oh, please let this day end, he thought. Throwing his suit coat over the back of a chair, he thundered down onto his bed and closed his eyes, waiting for sleep to claim him. After about a minute, the light left the room and Merrick began to drift into hibernation. Following a few moments of peace, light pierced through his closed eyelids, filtering into his vision a flash of red. Without looking, Merrick moaned to the system. Computer, I said, turn the lights off. Still, the light persisted. Computer, what is the problem? Why are the lights on again? The lights are not on, Mr. Vendarius. With a sense of both curiosity and caution, Merrick slowly opened his eyes and peered over his pillow at the source of radiance. Standing in the doorway was the enigmatic man in white, brilliantly glowing, filling the room with his self-generated illumination. Merrick jerked back, banging the back of his skull on the headboard of his bed. Computer! Intruder alert! Get security in here now! Your computer is offline for the time being, the stranger calmly stated. Don't be afraid, Merrick. I'm not here to harm you. The one who sent me wants you to be free tonight. He wants me to show you something that will start you on the road to that freedom. Merrick's hand slid across the covers, probing. Fear gripped him, but he knew his survival depended on playing along until he could defend himself. Freedom? I can do whatever I want. Do you have any idea who I work for? I know who you will work for, the stranger replied. And his burden is much lighter than the one you carry now. Oh, you left your nerve disruptor on the cabinet. Don't get up. Like a helpful neighbor, the stranger walked over, picked up the weapon, and handed it to his visibly shaken host. Merrick took the gun and looked at it. The stranger had already activated it for him, setting it to its most lethal configuration. It was as if the stranger wanted to be tested, as though he desired for Merrick to fire at him. But somehow, Merrick knew then that he didn't need to fear this person, and so relaxed his hold on the weapon and let it rest next to him on the bed. Who are you? What do you want from me? The figure bowed slightly. I am defined only by the one I serve. He is the master of all things, the giver of all you enjoy. But your joy is incomplete until you know what it is to serve him. That is why I am here tonight, to prepare you for service. Merrick, for reasons he himself did not understand, felt suddenly at ease with his intruder. Leaning back, he entertained conversation with his unusual guest. It took me seven years to learn all I know about music, and I'm not exactly overwhelmed by credits. What can you tell me now that will do me any good? The figure straightened and held his hands behind his back. I can tell you about March 27th, 2198. You will be a grandfather, happily married and in good health, with no history of serious injury. Not one bone in your body will have been broken but you will die in service to the king. In service to the king? <laughs> Merrick laughed. I think you're on the wrong continent, pal. He smiled. And as for the rest, well, it sounds nice, but that's just not how it works in the real world. Anybody could die any day, he explained to the stranger, who by this point he understood to be out of his mind. You or me, he gave as an example, could die any time, 
any second. The stranger paused as his cheeks drew upward, then mischievously shook his head. Not you. Merrick will never be sure if the man actually touched him, but the impact as the stranger threw his arm forward sent Merrick crashing through the window of his high-rise apartment. For a moment, he felt as though he would hang in the air forever. The feeling quickly passed as the wind began roaring in his ears, counting down to the moment of impact, which never came. He was told later that a banner being put up that night was responsible for saving his life. He ripped through the light fabric and fell onto a nearby hover transport, which had been passing illegally in the no-traffic zone. He never saw the stranger again, and for weeks doubted that the evening's events had ever happened, despite the repairs needed in his apartment. But some higher power seemed bent on demonstrating this new knowledge to Merrick. After being the only survivor in a mass transport accident a week later, and an air cruise disaster three weeks after that, Merrick Vendarius appeared in the local edition of Newsnet as the luckiest man alive. He decided then that it was time to start looking for his new employer. In his spare moments away from Atlantis Incorporated, where he sang jingles for their Hollowed campaigns, he did all the research he could to help him determine who the stranger was. The WCU had no record of anything like this happening to anyone, at least nothing concrete, as that would border on blasphemy. So for the next several months, Merrick searched the public libraries for any accounts similar to what he had experienced. Nothing could be found. He had begun to suspect that his visit from the stranger originated from a supernatural higher power of some sort that the W.C. had no knowledge of. He knew that Mr. Falcor had deep financial involvement with the church, and that the World Church of Unity kept close watch on its associates and their projects. He couldn't risk their watchful eye. If Merrick discovered that the force behind all of this was something that could be defined concretely, and if his belief became public knowledge, he would be branded a closed-minded antagonist— and suffer the same fate as everyone else who claimed to believe in one truth and one truth only. At least by quitting, he could escape the WCU and be free to find another job while searching for the meaning of his vision. So he made an appointment to see Claudius Falcor and to end his tenure with Atlantis. It would seem that fate, or this undefined power, had other plans for him. When he entered the lobby on the executive floor, the alarm sounded. Some security glitch had labeled him on the detection grid as unauthorized for clearance on the executive level. Although matters would have been cleared up upon reaching the secretary at the end of the hall, Atlanta security was notorious for their shoot-first-ask-questions-later policy. The first blast hit the wall six inches from his head. Burnt plaster flew into his face in a white cloud and temporarily blinded his left eye. In panic and fear of the unknown, he took what seemed like the logical course of action and ran. He didn't even see the window until shards of it were hanging in the air around him. Nearly twenty stories now, and still, Merrick saw no sign of how he would survive this fall. When the answer came, it happened almost more quickly than Merrick could see. Just when he'd given up trying to figure out what would save him, another window below him was shattered and a figure came soaring out with a rope tied around his waist. The impact as he slammed into him nearly drove Merrick into unconsciousness, but the man held him securely as they continued the downward arc of their swing and crashed through yet another window into an empty office. Recovering his senses on the floor, Merrick looked up to see his savior sprawled across the carpet. He was a businessman in his early 40s, dressed in a blue suit and overcoat. Sweat matted his graying brown hair to his forehead, and he cried out at his first attempt at movement. His back had obviously been broken. 
leaving him twisted and gasping for breath. His eyes managed to turn enough to see Merrick slowly rising to his hands and knees. Clawing at his suit pocket, the dying man produced a blue crystal no larger than a paperclip. Here, take this. Download it into your RCF. Quickly, before they come. Merrick took the crystal, but attributed the man's words to shock. Calm down, and don't move. It's going to be all right. Know who you are, he rasped. Know your destiny. Just lay still, Merrick told his strange rescuer. We'll get you some help. A crazed and feverish arm grabbed Merrick by the collar and pulled him into range of the man's fading voice. Young men shall see visions. Old men shall dream dreams. With a final sigh, his life left him. Merrick was in denial. He shook his head at the impossibility of it. It hadn't been like this any of the other times, he thought. No one had ever died so that he could live. It seemed like such a senseless death, too, raving about visions and... Merrick froze. Young men shall see visions. His heart still pounding, threatening an attack, Merrick jumped up from the body in front of him. He bolted from the room, lost in his shock, and stumbled down the hall. His mind reeled as he thought about the man's sudden death and what his final words might mean for Merrick's life. His mind kept echoing what he'd been told. Take this. Download it into your RCF. There was a terminal just ahead. Quickly, before they come. Unable to control his own momentum, he slammed into the terminal and fell to his knees. He finally unclenched his fist, now imprinted with the stone's shape, and fed the data crystal into the access port. Data crystals were a relatively new technology for storing information. Several public libraries could be stored on just one. Whatever was on this crystal, there was a lot of it. The screen lit up into action. Enter registered citizen file access code. At least he could remember that. Thank you, Mr. Vendarius. Do you wish to transfer restricted access information from account Anderson, Dirk, into your personal encrypted files? He wasn't sure exactly what that would mean for him, but for the time being, it was his best shot at an answer. Transferring. Transfer complete. Your account balance is now at 867,324 credits. Please allow three hours before withdrawal limit is updated. Do you wish to open up your new files? The door to the east stairwell burst open as Atlantis security poured in, packed with enough firearms to take down a small country. No time for that now, Merrick thought. I've got enough to sort out as it is. He quickly selected no. Please remove crystal from access port. The guards were nearly 30 feet away, and he certainly didn't need their help to sort this out. Computer, delete all files and donate the crystal to the Matter Recycle Program. Now! Thank you for your generous contribution to saving our environment. Your citizen status ranking has increased by (sighs) 0.0032%. Fantastic, Merrick groaned, as he settled back and allowed the first nerve disruptor blast to take him into merciful unconsciousness. Incredible, the cordial medtech laughed out loud. Twenty stories below, and this man knew exactly when to jump out of the window with an anchored line? With a rapid code input on the pad floating in front of him, the tech freed Merrick Vendarius from the medical scanning unit. Dozens of snake-like mechanical arms sprouted from the cold metallic table he was stretched across and propped him onto his feet, simultaneously refitting him with the clothes he was forced to remove for the examination. Merrick squinted at the light of the inspection lamp hanging above him, then blocked it with his hand and turned to the tech. Are we about finished up here? The physician smiled and chuckled. Hold on there, friend. His eyes became slightly less amiable and his tone less favorable. 
I'm sorry, but I really do need to fill out a report concerning the circumstances of your injuries. This conversation was the last one Merrick felt like having right now. What injuries? He brushed away the text comment. I told the officers on the scene I was fine. Except for all these cuts and scrapes, the other amended, pointing to the small lacerations on Merrick's arms and legs. Okay, Doc, you want to know the truth? He took a step forward and stared a hole into the man's forehead, proceeding to spell it out as if speaking to a toddler. I broke through a window. He stood abruptly and began fastening the straps on his black polytextile jacket. The medtech fired right back at him, losing his friendly demeanor entirely. I'm afraid the Silicate Foundation won't be satisfied with that. You have yet to detail why you were in the Atlantis Corporation building to begin with and what you were doing jumping out of their window. He snapped out a data pad from the pocket of his white lab coat and showed it to Merrick. I received a report this morning that described a breach of security on the same floor you occupied and at the approximate time that you fell. They can't determine yet what crime was committed during that period other than the break-in itself, but I have advised them to obtain you for questioning. Well then, said Merrick, straightening his coat and letting the automatic fitters hug the fabric close to his skin. It seemed we're finished here after all. With a final look of warning, he turned and headed for the door. Just a minute, the flustered examiner called after him. I checked your account when you came in. How do you expect to pay for your treatment with only 60 credits? Check it again, he called back without turning. You'll find there's been a significant deposit since then. Fed up with his treatment, Vendarius shoved the door open in front of him and headed down the bustling hallway, out into the streets of Gateway City. As he walked down the street away from the hospital, Merrick wondered if he had finally found an answer— He had only to reach his apartment to activate the new file, and the chaos of the last twelve months would be given meaning. At least, that was the idea. There was no way he could begin to guess what might be on that file. His pace quickened as his hunger for closure became suddenly deeper. Merrick stormed into his small living block and set about putting away his coat and getting himself something to drink. In the background, he listened to the feminine voice of his standard block computer unit as she droned on about the daily news and local weather reports. Do I really want to do this, he thought. Who knows where this could lead me. They could be hearing reports about me being thrown in a lock chamber tomorrow if there's anything short of public protocol on that file. Still, Merrick's curiosity was stronger than his fear. Computer, cancel report. What can I do for you, Mr. Vendarius? Merrick turned and looked at the reinforced window he'd had put in to replace the old one. Slowly, he walked over and reached out to touch it, confirming its stability. Satisfied, he sat on his couch and put his glass on the coffee table. Here goes, he sighed. Computer, open and activate all files under Anderson Dirk. Holographic display. You've been listening to the audiobook edition of Spirit Blade, written and narrated by Peter Franson, with music by Bjorn A. Lynn and Sound Ideas. To experience the groundbreaking, cinematically produced audio dramas based on this story, visit www.spiritblade.net. Thanks for listening. The future. A world where the quest for truth is a thing of the past. Look, your truth just isn't true for me, okay? The truth does not require your belief. It simply is, regardless of your personal convictions. I think the world's been blinded, Ebony. Everybody claims to be spiritual, whatever the drac that means, but nobody really knows anything about the spiritual world. Merrick, this is crazy. You can't talk like this. And they'll do anything to keep it out of our future. It's Atlantis! They found us again! An alien race has blessed us with amazing technology. Merrick, 
The world we live in is incredible. While a race of demons destroys who we are. Do you believe in the supernatural, Mr. Vandarius? We shall believe in your blood, humans. <laughs> Brothers! Tonight marks the end of our subjection to the only. Humanity will be wiped from the map of history. We've traveled across our world and even into another. What we can see with our eyes is of little consequence in the grand scheme of things. It is what occurs in the other worlds around us that should have us concerned. What the press just happened? Was that the... The other world. We've been hunted by humans, aliens, and things I don't have a name for. I'm the future, Vincent. The ultimate life form. There's too many of them. One goes down and three more take its place. All because we're looking for the one weapon that can bring an end to this conflict forever. Give me the sword! A weapon known only as the Spirit Blade. Oh, I can feel its power from here. Oh yeah, well tell me what this feels like. For more information, visit spiritblade.net.